0: Hello and welcome to Design Pod, sponsored by Monotti London, with me, Hamish Kilburn. Today's episode is about sliding doors, which is a bit of a rip-off theme from the 1998 film starring the one and only Gwyneth Paltrow. But it's also inspired from a previous trip I took recently to the Douro Valley in Portugal, where I met another legend, who is uh, Jenny Becker. So Jenny is the host of the podcast Sliding Doors, which basically she invites really inspirational people from all walks of life onto her show. And it's all about discussing, identifying, and exploring those moments in your career and in your life that kind of was the close of one chapter and the beginning of the next. It's kind of exploring that turn of the page. And I I just think that's just such a beautiful there's such beautiful memories to cast your mind back to because you kind of realise how much you've achieved and what's kind of developed since then. So I just love her theme of the podcast and you've got to listen to it. It's a must listen to, available like DesignPod on all major podcast platforms. So with that theme in mind, and before we meet the just awesome Brian Nassana who is our guest this week, who basically sheds light on so many of his aha moments and is so honest along the way, which I just have so much admiration for. I've been thinking a little bit more about my sliding doors moments. So... I guess like the career defining moment that really stands out was when I was 16 and I decided on the spot that I wanted to become a journalist. Now one thing you need to know about me is I'm, I'm, I'm very single visioned or at least I, I'm probably not as single visioned as I, I used to be but I was very single visioned back then. And I wanted to be a journalist. So I'll set the scene. So I was all about sailing when I was younger. And I was sailing and competing. And I was—I ended up being in the tuning crew with the Paralympic sailing team, the British Paralympic sailing team, who, by the way, are just such inspirational people, not because of their disabilities at all, but just because of their journey and their determination to kind of battle adversity. And it just taught me so much. And it was such a healthy thing for me to be a part of when I was that age. And I gave a lot to them and I gave a lot of my kind of energy to them. We were on our way to their world championships in Holland. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but Hannah, one of the sailors and very good friend of mine who has always supported my journey along the way and I just love her so much. Hannah asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And it was just weird because up to that point, it wasn't really about me and it shouldn't have been about me. And so I was on the spot and I said to Hannah, I just said, I just, I want to be a journalist. And I don't know where it came from because I hadn't really thought about it before. Anyway, long story short, the World Championships, Hannah and the team went out of their way to set me up with interviews with world champions, Paralympic champions sailors who went on to become Paralympic champions. Like, it was just amazing. And it was really that moment where I thought, this is the industry I want to be in. And I loved every moment of it. And I'm just so grateful to Hannah and everyone who sort of helped me on that, on that journey. And I, I just, it cast my mind back. And I kind of, I think now, you know, you get to a point in your career where you have the opportunity to help others and maybe impart some advice and knowledge. And that's not being big headed. But I think when you get to that point in your career... As designers and architects, I think we should really look back and remember the people who helped us and who actually gave us opportunities and realise that actually when you get to this position, that really is your responsibility because otherwise it's quite selfish. I think. So, with that in mind, let's meet Brian Masana who I think he's kind of reached that point as well and we kind of discuss it in the interview the kind of definition of what a leader is today and we talk about how it's not really about being put on a pedestal but actually it's about leading by example and he is such a great example as a leader who leads with empathy and with knowledge and passion and talent and just does it effortlessly I think I don't know if he'd even agree with that but I I just see that from his work so right that's enough about me kind of cheerleading Brian let's meet him shall we Brian thank you for joining us on the design pod podcast let's just start by establishing where are you in the world right now
1: uh thank you so much for having me I am in New York City it's a beautiful morning nine a little after nine uh Friday so I'm happy the week is ending
0: Friday feeling. What, what's it like um, being an architect in New York City? And has that changed over the years from when you were sort of learning and sort of new in the in the industry, if you like, to, to now where you're like, obviously, incredibly established and run the shots in your own studio? <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that, that uh, you know, it's only recently that I've been uh, actually probably only last month or two that it's sort of dawning on me that I'm sort of established, or we're sort of established, because uh I've had a few encounters lately where it's like people have come up to me and said, Oh uh, you're you're Brian Masana. I go, Yes. I go of uh, Masano Roark. I go, Yes. And I go, Oh my God, we've been, you know, fans of your and these are fellow architects, uh, yeah. younger gen- younger generation. And of course, you know, I'm looking at myself on my little Zoom screen here, and I'm thinking to myself, I still think I'm really young, but obviously the interns in our office are getting younger and I'm getting older. So, you know, you're, there's a disconnect between how you feel and what your presence is about, right? So yeah. I, I
0: think though that you're, you're in that generation where you have seen it done badly in terms of leadership and you kind of very much approach the way you run your studio with empathy and you kind of I think naturally leaders in the industry today kind of have that kind of the, the veneer of being a leader is kind of gone. You know, it's yes. definitely about what you know and not who you are anymore. Yes. You
1: know? Yes, I I totally agree. I totally agree. And so, there's yes.
0: definitely more of a connection between, you know, all the ranks within the studio to the point where they're not really ranks anymore. It's more sort of um vertical am um, not vertical horizontal horizontal Vertical. yes <laughs> Get them right. yeah
1: yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, no definitely because I mean that's what our studio is all about mm. um you know I although I, I am the partner uh I don't consider myself the boss um but you forget sometimes like oh yeah you you think I'm the boss right uh, or that's the yeah that's the role that I'm supposed to be playing um yeah
0: And at the end of the day, it is your head on the chopping block if if things are. It is.
1: It is. And then the sorry, the other, the other thing that happened to me also recently is that I have a very, very good friend who was partners in a very, very big and very famous firm. And he had, he's left about four years ago, and we were having dinner. And we were, as we were walking, as I was walking to the subway station, he was walking with me. He turns to me and goes, So, so how do you get your work? And and that Question is like one of those questions that, like, every young practice, young studio. I, I remember asking, being asked, and asking that question when we were first starting starting off. And I was like, "Oh my god! Like, you're you're asking me this question? Like, you are you know ten years older than me. You're uh, you you have you know your pedigree, your your background is amazing, and you're asking me like little old me." <laughs> Um, so sometimes, you know, like I said, you, I think, at least I do, I forget, I forget who I, I'm, I think people think I am. Yeah, that and, makes sense.
0: and design and architecture is a, a weird kind of industry because in my opinion these days, in order to be successful, it really has to become your life. And actually the the DNA of the studio really has to be a reflection of who you are and your personality and the way you are as a as a person as well. So it's um yeah how you get your work well, it's just so everything's so personable these days isn't it it's all about relationships and yeah. all about kind of um did you ever feel as if you kind of have to put on a, a a face put on a put on a front um in order to be the sort of person who you are in your studio or do you kind of feel as if it just comes naturally and actually it's a comfortable way in which you work
1: anyway uh, in my studio
0: just in terms of, you know, when you're out about uh, representing, do you ever feel as if no, you have so... to be either Brian Masana or is it kind of just like, hey, guys, like, this is who I am. It's all good. Like, and these are the projects we're working on.
1: So this is like, uh, should I bring my therapist into this, this <laughs> Yeah, <session>? please do. <laughs> but um, so within the studio, I've always, like, I'm, I'm Brian always. Uh, uh, outside, though, you know, it's... Like I said, it's only been recently, like, I've, uh, I've no longer, I I hate the word authentic, but I feel like (laughs) it's just such a word these days. It's like journey. It just can't describe uh, so many things. Yes, right? (laughs) It almost means nothing. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, no, so for all those years, I was not authentic. I, I wore a mask, but, um, so... I feel like, you know, I guess with the age, you feel you start to become you start to feel more comfortable with who you are and what you're about. And hmm. um uh I'm I'm gay. So um I not a not necessarily a big news flash anymore in today's <laughs> world, but you know, I'm 56. So when I started, I I was I was 25 when I started at Rich and Meyer and Partners. And uh You know, I I had moved to New York to be with Toby O'Rourke, my business, my business partner and my then life partner, who came from the UK, from um, Oxford Poly, which is now Brooks, I think it's Brooks University. And we are no longer uh, life partners. In fact, I I I married him and his uh, husband during uh, COVID. Um, And I am... I am his daughter's uh godfather um oh. so um but no now like I mean look at I'm wearing for this I'm wearing my only love uh t-shirt which is uh a t-shirt that my friend uh makes about that you know it's not about hate it's all about love so I'm I'm much more relaxed uh, and I also think when I turn 50 for some reason I uh, excuse me I, I told people this like Maybe it's the amount of gray hair that I had on my head, but um, people started treating me differently. Like, yeah. So it's, it's. I think it's age, and I guess. It, it's know, actually it's, amazing
0: <laughs> how. By by the way, you really suit gray hair. Um, your hands, <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> you're wearing it well. So, <laughs> in in terms of, um, as soon as there's a title, because when I gained my editorship, all of a sudden doors just opened. Just right. Right. <laughs> right. and actually it makes a lot of sense to discuss this because the theme of this episode is sliding doors you mentioned Richard Meyer but you also worked with the likes of Peter Marino Thomas Pfeiffer who I know was and still is a really strong connection for you you trained with him yes you know? you've worked with some big names and the projects that you've worked on including the Canal Plus in Paris the Museum of Contemporary Arts in Barcelona and how can we not mention the Christian Dior store in Paris the list goes on So what I really want to understand right now for our listeners is where your sliding doors moment or moments were in your career in and amongst all this noise. Well, I think
1: there there are probably maybe two. So, uh, sorry, there were many, but the two significant ones were when, uh, so Toby and I moved to New York. I moved from California after school. He moved from London. We wanted to move to a city that was exciting that we both had been to. And a place that we did not have family um, and a, a neutral ground. And, uh, you know, back then before 9-11, you could walk into anyone's office <laughs> and just yeah. knock, knock on the door. So I I walked into Richard Meyer's office and Tom Pfeiffer was Richard's uh, design partner at the time. And he hired me right there. Um, I remember it was like in August. It was I had just... I took a red eye to New York. I, I, we had a studio apartment. I made a portfolio in a week. I had a book that we purchased in Barcelona called 25 architects, New York architects. And I would, I was just going to each one of those offices and he hired me right there. And then, and that was, that was the firm that I wanted to work for. I wanted to work for Richard Meyer. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, pivotal like New York story. And then the next I guess sliding door occurred when, while working at uh, Richard Meyer, uh, I met um, a good friend, Anjali Lewis, who was not an architect. She worked at the front office. And after I went to graduate school and moved on, I was working at Peter Marino's office and she moved on and was now at uh, Donna Karen, And she was the assistant to the creative director at the time, Trey Laird. And she called me up and said, Oh, you know, we have some we have some extra work some freelance work would you be interested in doing that and i said sure so I, I walked in one evening after work and i literally walked out with an entire store to design in santiago chile so wow. the next next day i quit peter marino's office and uh this was at a time when donna karen was bulking up her business um building i think we designed 20 21 22 projects for them at the time and they were preparing to go, uh, get their IPO on wall street. So this was a exciting time for them, you know, just tons and tons of stuff happening. Um, so that's when we set up Misano O'Rourke and Toby had been working at Polo Ralph Lauren in the store design. And he was there for a year before he, he eventually quit and, uh, moved in with, uh, Misano O'Rourke officially. So that was, you know, pivotal story coming to New York, pivotal story to uh, start Masana work.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and on your website, um, there's a quote that I just have to read out. Um, Minimalism is not the solution. Uh, it's the guise under which complexity is best hidden.
1: Mm. That's a great,
0: and obviously you guys are, are behind that, but how does that kind of explain your approach in in architecture and the projects that you work on?
1: You know, work for all of us is actually very fun um and as it should uh, be as it should be (laughs) um it's like a it's a game for us right so everything's i turn everything into a game otherwise uh design is super fun when you think of it as a game um the business of architecture becomes tolerable when you think of it as a game (laughs) it's just running a business it's not just the business it's like you think like when you're a student like oh yeah i'm going to become an architect i'm going to open up my own firm and i'm going to design and draw all day long well that's not the case like yeah it, there's you know there's client relationships there's it, it takes so many people to to get a project built um, yeah and you really like you're you're like you know you're an architect you're a designer you're a therapist you're a cheerleader. Um, you're just trying to get everyone moving in the in the same direction
0: i really wanted to sort of help clear define yours and toby's roles in the studio and do you complement each other or do you very much welcome the same things um how does that look and feel more importantly
1: so before i answer that question i forgot to tell you before this interview that um I'm, i'm an introvert on the exterior an extrovert on the interior and i don't really like talking but once you get me talking like i just will jabber on forever so, <laughs> so so you have to you have to help guide it um i
0: honestly would love to be considered an introvert but when you look at my instagram it's just, right i just can't claim that statement
1: all <laughs> right so so toby and i you know i usually start off our lectures about our work with a photograph of binky in the brain have you seen this oh this, yeah uh,
0: yeah 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 for sure binky and so that's binky that's
1: that's that's what i kind of think of us as like we're sort of like Abbott and Costello like but but which
0: one's which
1: (laughs) well I guess I would say that I'm I'm the brain and he would say that too because I I'm the one who (laughs) who always plans right so I always like uh, my planning is like oh like I throw something in way way in front of us and I say I don't know how we're going to get there but let's figure out a way to get there and Mm. so um I'm more like front of house, he's more back of house. I mean, as much of as a as an introvert as I am, he's even worse. And and but we design everything together. We're not in a partnership where like, oh, Toby has his projects, I have my projects. We design everything together. And and to me, and I always use this example, and I probably should learn how to play poker because I always use this poker analogy where the way we design is we kind of sit down together and and it's just about raising you know he'll go we sketch he goes off and draw some stuff cuz i don't draw anything on the computer anymore and then the mm-hmm. team starts drawing up stuff and then we meet again and they'll take the ideas that we talked about they'll push them forward then we look at them together then i push them forward and you know it's this whole thing of just keep pushing it and i kind of come in and out to sort of I guess going back to my Donna Karen days is when I first discovered the idea of being a creative director. So I have the position of being able to not be in the weeds the whole time and to come out and to say, hey, you know what, you guys, I think we're losing this. We're getting too, we're getting too myopic, you know, let's pull back the yeah, lens so you're able a to bit. look at it
0: from a wider perspective. Yes, and, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we we had um the designers from in and sve on the podcast recently and they were saying they're literally a a team of two and (laughs) because they have such a strong relationship with one another um in in the design world um they just can't imagine growing their team or it would be difficult to grow their team oh really with with their characters but i'm kind of wondering because you and toby clearly have a really strong bond was that ever difficult to decide to grow the team and decide decide to grow the studio in terms of people and numbers or did you find that actually quite I don't want to say the word authentic because you didn't (laughs) know that word
1: (laughs) no no I um no I've always wanted to grow the office because I've always wanted to work on multiple projects simultaneously but also different types of projects and I find it interesting and exciting when we have other people involved in the process I mean obviously we we have very strong input in the design process but we welcome everyone's you know our clients people in our on our team uh, everyone to participate because it, it makes it more interesting
0: they just had a very unique way of working and it involved a few sort of heated discussions between each other but it kind of worked for them so it was like a fiery relationship and it was just like they just couldn't imagine anyone else getting in 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 between in terms of their uh, creative decisions
1: so <laughs> then i guess we're the same except apparently we, <laughs> we don't care about who's around so i mean we literally like we're like an old couple like in fact we don't necessarily are together anymore when we meet with clients because it does sometimes become a little problematic. Um right. and I I know that we've had clients say to us like after like after the project's done or years later, like it said, yeah, you two like you two get get into it. And mm-hmm. uh I felt like that that was a kind of cool in some respects, but not really appropriate. So um yeah. we had to I had to cut Toby loose and um he's now strictly back of house, back of house. <laughs> yes <laughs> promotion <laughs> right. Well, we, we you know we don't necessarily so I, I don't need to like i don't need to have a, a yelling discussion i mean we you yeah. know, we've been but together make... we've known each other since
0: 1989 yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah yeah um if the whole um, Donna Karen situation didn't emerge, do you think that you would have set up your own studio as quickly as you did? Or was it that catalyst that really sort of um, fired you into the to the next step? And, and what did that feel like at the time? Were you quite bold and quite sure of yourself in terms of how it would go? Or were there just trepidations throughout the whole process? <laughs>
1: um, so I have always wanted to be an architect uh, for better or, or worse. Um, my father was an is an interior designer he had his own firm for probably 40 years and my I had I mean there's nothing else I wanted to do it was be an architect and I also had this vision that we would have I would have an office and the opportunity to open our own office with Donna Karen projects uh you know I couldn't pass that by sometimes I, I feel like oh we way too early, way too young, and not necessarily because of our design abilities, but because for a business perspective, so I had only worked for Richard Meyer, Peter Marino, a few other smaller firms for a short period of time. So my experience as an architect to run your business, to run projects, um, was short. And, um, so I always said that I, I pretend to be to play business, you know. Like I, I I gathered as much information from those experiences as possible and put together this thing. And um, and then the other uh, aspect, which I think is really important, is the longer you are with other offices, depending on the length of your stays, you develop relationships with potential clients. Which is obviously as an architect who wants to build and needs to pay uh, or needs to generate an income to to live off of having clients is quite important. Uh, so yeah,
0: And a portfolio as well.
1: Yes. Uh, and Donna Karen, you know, was a great name, but it was not showcasing our design
0: expertise. But huge stability, really, knowing that there oh, were, yes. it wasn't just yeah. one project, it was a series oh, of... Absolutely.
1: So absolutely. Quite, our, our, it was our bread and butter. And so we were able to also cultivate other projects during and clients during that time. But when she stopped... Um, I mean, that was a scary, scary moment uh, for us mm. because all of a sudden that steady flow of income uh, stopped. Um, but in the end it was our, really our, the best for us because uh, we started to get new work. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great. So so at what point did
0: you go from designing stores and experiences within stores to um, designing sort of residential and moving into the hospitality sphere as well? At what point did that start to gain momentum for you?
1: So another sliding door happened that for a few years, we had a lot of potential clients to design houses and to design apartments. Um, They loved our work, but when they saw our work, they didn't see any apartments or houses built. And they said, well, we love your work, but we we don't see that translation into residential. So our first client was a pro bono client was a friend of ours that we designed a furniture store for and we did that for free and that was then published uh in metropolitan home was the first magazine and then all of a sudden that started our residential career
0: <clears throat> so that was a risk that was worth taking um yeah,
1: yeah we take time. a lot of risks we still yeah. take risks
0: yeah a risks um as risky today as they were back then, or do you think that there's there's more kind of competition than there is ever has been today? Setting up well, on your own or making that next step.
1: Well, it's different now, right? So now we're older. We have
0: everybody's <laughs> so, an expert as well.
1: Yeah, true, right? Um, exactly. Everyone's an expert, but no, um, we always take risks to further our career, to further our, just to make life exciting, you know. But, but obviously. Um, I don't have any kids, Toby has a daughter now, like you, you know, you start to have, you accumulate things that and a certain lifestyle that uh, not that I have a crazy lifestyle, but you know, you start to get somewhat comfortable. So the more you risk, um, you wonder how far you can go out um, without potentially really, really becoming problematic. Mm. but we always we always do risks uh, risk i I always say so I don't gamble, but I gamble on us all the time, yeah, and uh, i'm I'm hoping that it always comes through, and does it go wrong
0: in your has has it gone wrong?
1: Has it gone wrong? Yeah, there's a few times where it's gone. Uh, I
0: guess there's always solution. Mean, this is the thing with designers and architects there's always a solution you're, you're solution driven people so yes, things yes. may go the way that you didn't expect them to go but then it goes on to a different path different course and it always ends up okay in the end I guess uh, yeah.
1: Um well actually I firmly believe in that. Uh so I mean that what makes design exciting is I don't have any preconceived ideas of the final outcome. So never get to attached to anything and just let it go where it needs to go and uh that's usually when your best work comes out.
0: Talk us through the the timeline. So obviously working um you know on stores and then at what point did you start developing uh, people's houses and then when did that turn into hotels? <laughs>
1: So we've been in business, we're 26 years now. So it's not like anything just happened overnight. We have obviously picked up momentum in the last, definitely in the last five years. Um, and we've had restaurant projects, hospitality projects. And now we, we worked on a hotel or resort in the Catskills, um, which is on hold. And now we're working on a new boutique hotel in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We've gone from mostly... Apartment renovations to now we're about 50% apartment renovations and 50% ground up single family houses. So our work mm. is, you know, as you, as you, I think as you get older, as your work becomes more, um, I don't know if defined is the right word, but you are also being recognized through either awards or, um, I, th- I think pre- the portfolio is also, they, and they the, uh, yes, the portfolio. Yes, sorry. Mm. No, no, I, th-
0: I think I just think that the, when, when you see people's portfolios, it's like you can you can definitely tell if it's, you know, just been thrown together or if it has kind of mellowed and matured over time. And then at that point, you can kind of see the connection between projects. And I find that really fascinating. Um, I'm really interested to know more about the, the hotel um, in Bridgeport, did you say? Yes. Yeah, so what's what's the concept there and um, how how are you approaching it?
1: Well, we so we literally just started and we had our first schematic design and I was just meeting actually before this podcast about the project and uh, it's, a, it's around a, a 30,000 square foot uh, boutique hotel. Half of it is in an existing historical building that was the post building in Bridgeport and then the other half is a brand new ground up building. So right now we're just in the planning stages in terms of understanding how many rooms we can get, what different types of rooms, um, the amenities, etc. But it's it's really uh, really exciting because not only are we excited about the particular project, but the location in Bridgeport is well. It's the largest city in Connecticut. Um, it's it's a quiet city, and uh, this boutique hotel um, hopefully is going to j- have an impact. In bringing people it's, it's now that there was a holiday Inn which closed, and now this will be the only hotel in the city. So we're really looking forward to seeing how that this will be hopefully some sort of catalyst to help bring some life back into downtown Bridgeport.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so much fun when designers and architects get to work on projects that aren't necessarily branded by a big hotel group and when it's unique yes. and when it's just yes. got its own identity, you can really let that kind of, you can play with it. As you said that like, this is a game, which is with, with rules.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, once you understand the rules, the, you, you can, can break, break the rule. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, also with the hotel, it's like you're, it's, it's like a microcosm, right? So you're designing rooms, you're designing public spaces, we're designing amenities such as like a, uh, a rooftop bar, uh, a ground floor bar, or actually we're thinking of a um, a speakeasy in the basement, um, a coffee shop, a flower shop. So now, then all of a sudden, you know your your design is is about the whole project, but also the specificity of each of these programs, which yeah. makes it makes it really interesting.
0: Well, when it opens, we're going to have to do another podcast in the speakeasy. Okay.
1: <laughs> sounds, um, sounds great.
0: Yeah, it sounds good, doesn't it? Um, talk about sliding doors. Uh, you've recently um, just, or about to launch the uh, your monograph, um, which features, it's called Building Blocks, is that right? And it yes. features 25 uh, projects that really represent the studio's legacy. So from that, what would you say is the studio's legacy? And has it been weird looking back when you, and naturally, I imagine you don't feel like your job's done. Uh,
1: yes, uh, only <laughs> only only the beginning, only the beginning, <laughs> I hope. Um, no, it was, it was a it was over a two year process. and uh, so it was as complicated if if not more complicated than a project only because of the psychological aspect. you know it's it's interesting going through all of your work from the very beginning and sifting through it and and deciding what, so we narrowed it down to 25 because of, to celebrate the 25 years that we we're um, as a studio. And we wanted to find 25 projects that were representative of not only the process, you know, from going from beginning to the current, but also represent, Hopefully was represented somewhat of a diverse portfolio. And um, I think out of the 25, seven of the projects are unbuilt. And that was um I didn't think anything of it, but Zoli had a little bit of a pushback on having unbuilt work. And our editor at first was like, I don't understand why would you put unbuilt work in your in your book? And so I explained that. As a as an artist, like all of our each project we learn from each project. So whether or not it's a it's a built project, it's a competition, it's a project that never got built, it's a project that we we it was a conceptual or a theoretical project, all of those projects have helped in the development of our work and also helped in promoting our work and mm. and being aspirational for potential clients
0: yeah and also i think it's really important to to look ahead to the future not just kind of like you know finger to the wind scenario but actually yes. really kind of a, a considered approach would be to put renders in to put drawings in in the terms of understanding what we're looking at next and right it's all about progression and yes. the fact that you know when people launch book it's like okay what well, is that it and that's a great way of saying nope there's way more to come. yes
1: Exactly. This is literally just the beginning. Yeah, just the beginning.
0: Sure. Um, and uh, Thomas Pfeiffer wrote the the forward. Um, so yes. it's just has he just been a, um, a sort of ambassador and a you know a, a cheerleader from the sides all the way through or has that is he just a significant person for the bo- in your life
1: for the book or for you no know, just our... in terms
0: of your career in the studio and have you always felt as if you've, you've had that support and because I, I feel as if these days especially in our industry um it's so much built on relationships and so much built on you know natural relationships that actually mean something as opposed to like ah you're going to help me get to this place and you're going because half the time you don't know where you're going to go actually it's just yes. good to be yes. around like-minded people so yes. did you just feel like when you arrived at um at, you know at the studio all those years ago that he was just someone who just got what you were trying to do clearly he hired you on the spot so must right. there must be that connection there. I guess
1: well uh I think for for us the book was a few things so the so there's Tom who hired me um at Richard Meyers so that my first job uh, Mayor Russ, who's the editor of the book and wrote the intro, he was the editor of Interior Design and was the first editor who published our work. And now he's the West West Coast editor of Architectural Digest. So I, I kind of looked at this as sort of like a, a full circle Um mm.
0: It's a real testament as well, because I just think there's uh, a few years ago, there were people that would just climb the ladder in terms of like going after people that were in certain jobs in order to cherry pick and work their way up strategically. And actually, what I have found in the very short time I've been in the industry, which is 10 years, Mm -hmm. is the people who were my friends at the start when they were juniors with me, we've climbed up together and yes. it's a really lovely way and especially um you know going beyond the parameters of your actual industry so you you going into like the, the publishing area for example relationships with d- editors and journalists it's it's all much more meaningful and it has to mean much more than just the work that we're doing it's there's yes. something more to it you know.
1: definitely definitely so so tom has been uh i don't think he really he doesn't probably understand how influential he's been in our career but um you know over the years we have kept in uh contact and his we used to play tennis upstate we have houses near each other um and he has always been i have felt such a um, um when i've come to him for advice he really looks at the bigger picture and without Thinking like competition or like he's just very objective, and uh, has given me such you know so, uh, funny thing is after I graduated from Cal Poly and I uh, sorry Cal Poly after I graduated from Columbia with my masters, um I think we had there was a little recession there or something like that. I went back. To, I thought I'd go back to Richard myron Partners, and he said to me like Why would you come back here? Like you've already done this like why don't you go somewhere else and that was another sl- sliding door right so i was like huh i, I was like so- somewhat kind of like befuffled like oh my god like i'm not going to go back to richard Myron and partners and tom just told me to go look somewhere else um but it was it was good advice and he's always given he's always provided toby and i with i think very um thoughtful advice mm.
0: So talking about advice. Um, What advice would you give to those who are in a similar place to where you were, perhaps working for a studio, they've kind of built up the the contacts naturally, built up the experience, which is invaluable, obviously, um, and are deciding that perhaps it's the time to sort of branch out and do their own thing. What advice would you give to those designers and architects who are clearly out there?
1: Hmm. Well, now that you have experience and you want to do something on your own, um obviously the first step is to have some clients (laughs) would be nice (laughs) um uh but then once forming the office is like to try to you know really cultivate your network Uh, that's actually that would be my advice to anyone who wants to open their own studio is is your, your network is really so valuable in so many ways, both for potential clients and also just to like, you know, like get advice or like, oh, I, I'm looking for a, um, a mechanical engineer for this this type of project. Can you recommend someone? Um, it's so valuable, um, uh, that network. And that, so that's what I would, my biggest advice is, is about your network.
0: Do you know what, Brian? I completely agree with you. And making sure that network is built with integrity is vital. Yes. You know? I kind of see the the arena that we work in um, more of a lifestyle than a job. And I think that's because the the networks that I build, and, and I can see that you build as well, They're genuine connections and genuine friends. I came out of the industry for a few years and it was really interesting to see who among my connections stayed friends and who didn't. Not going to shed any light on who they were. Um, But recently I've spoken to a handful of designers here in London, in fact, and what they tell me is truly terrifying because of lockdown and the way in which the world is, I guess. They're hiring and finding it a real challenge to get the right attitude, the right talent, and the right mentality through their doors. A lot of designers are coming in wanting the job to first and foremost work around them, as opposed to the other way around. Perhaps not giving too much care or attention to the project itself, but more around how that project can add stature to the industry. And don't get me wrong, it's a give and take relationship. Any any workspace is give or take. But it's almost as if people are thinking and strategically climbing a little bit too much. And I'm worried because I feel as if we're going to get to a point where everyone's a director, everyone's head of brand, everyone's head of design. And those titles for me are, well, they should be earned and should be given to those who really understand and really care about the studio's DNA and its integrity. And I worry that we're kind of walking into an era where people are just jumping from one studio to another in order to get as much experience as possible to work on the cool, sexy projects and then move on to the next. On the contrary, though, moving more into a positive light. What I love about your story, Brian, is that you put so much research into the job that you went for at Richard Meyer. You really proved to them how much value you would give to their studio and their business which is completely rare to see, I have to say, given what I've just said above. So I'm really interested, as now you are a, a, an owner of a studio, a business owner yourself, what do you look for in the people that walk through your studio doors when coming in for an interview? And apologies for all the door puns. Yes,
1: right. <laughs> uh, I, I think that it's not just our industry. I mean, from what, from all my friends in different industries, they have the same issue. Um, uh, I, it's it's unfortunate. Um, I look for we look for. I mean, it's been very difficult lately to to find good team new team members. Um, but we look for people who are interested in a multitude of not just architecture but culture. What what do you like in culture? You know, what's what's do you go to movies? Do you read books? Do you go to museums? Do you travel? You know, what what makes up the person that you are? And then how do you want to contribute? Like, what, what is your five-year plan? What is your 10-year plan um, to try to gauge their, their potential um, at the office and as, as a contributor, as a contributing member to the team? Because as you said, not everyone's, a lot of younger people in our field are looking for what can we do for them as opposed to mm-hmm. what they can do for us and i think it's mutual so um if they're coming to as a team member that is looking for mutual benefit then that to me is a, is a good is a is a good fit
0: mm-hmm. yeah for sure for sure um brian we've run out of time it's been an really? absolute pleasure talking to you yeah yeah well, thank and, you so uh, much I can't wait to come to New York and see your studio in person. Yes,
1: I would love to have (laughs) you over. Definitely.
0: Yeah, it would be great. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Brian Masana, everyone. Here's the thing about Brian. He really is part of this new, refreshing generation of leaders who has the experience, the knowledge, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying the years to call himself an expert. But he also has, from what I have seen and heard, zero ego and i just love hearing about his relationship with toby and how that's evolved over the years i really hope toby's listening back of house of course um, because partnerships like those they, they are just unmatched and they need to be nurtured and it's so wonderful to see two people coming together like brian and toby to just produce their best work What's been really insightful from my far too short conversation with Brian is just also understanding that pretty much all of his sliding door moments have been risks. Risks worth taking, but absolutely taken at the right time. And finally, well, the hotel nerd that I unashamedly am, I just cannot wait for that boutique hotel in Bridgeport to open. That speakeasy sounds like a bit of me. So that's it for this episode of design pod if you've enjoyed listening to these episodes as much as i enjoy making them then please support us subscribe and you can also find us on instagram to get all the behind the scenes at hotel designs and my handle is at hotel design editor until next time see you soon